0: And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit Sozospokane.com. Hey, I don't have peace here, and I don't have to, like, drum it up somehow. I don't have to fake it till I make it I don't have to like go buy it somewhere or go go pretend like I have it or go hum in the right key for the right amount of time or pray the right amount of prayers or do the right things no 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 I have peace by knowing God and God has made himself available to me listen to me at no cost to me the old song says Jesus paid it all this is sozo church Words you thought you knew what they meant when you move to a new place don't mean what you think they mean when you move there. Uh, this, this became especially apparent to me actually when I spent some time in Australia where words mean totally different things. But the most relatable one I can think of for us is, uh, you know, if you drive through a, a drive through place and you, you get one of their beverages at the drive through place, what you call that depends on what geographical area in America you are. Up here, most people call it either soda or pop. Pop never made sense to me, but whatever. That's what I call my dad. So that was a little awkward for me to move up here. When I lived in Houston, we, I spent my elementary school years in, in Houston, Texas. And uh, down there, we called it Coke. Everything. Didn't matter what kind of Coke it was. You would, you'd go over to your friend's house and they'd say, do you want a Coke? And your response would be, well, what kind do you have? Now, up here, that would either just mean diet, regular, cherry, or if you're a freak, vanilla. But down there, literally, like, do you, have, do you have Pepsi Coke? Do you have Sprite Coke? Do you have Dr. Pepper Coke? Just different, different words mean different things. And this is why I bring it up. Has anybody else noticed that God seems to be working from a different dictionary than some of us when he uses certain words? I think I know what he means by this. But yet when I search out the scriptures, he's clearly talking about something different. We're going to be addressing one of those types of words this morning. See if you can't figure out. What it is from the verse we're gonna read. Can we do something just briefly this morning? Can we stand for the reading of God's word? Not trying to be religious or weird. We're just trying to show honor where honor is due. I'm gonna read us some verses this morning and then we're gonna jump right in. This is John 14, 27. This is Jesus speaking. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, Neither let them be afraid. Next we have 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Psalm 29, 11 says, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Everybody say peace. Philippians 4, 7. Are you picking up on maybe what we're gonna be talking about this morning? It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And last but not least, Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now we'll jump into our platform, kind of launch verse for this. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I of the plans I have for you, declares the Lord for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. We love the Bible, amen? And the verse we're gonna be preaching out of this, this, this morning, the passage we'll be studying, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. And then Paul finishes out his letter here with a little signature. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness. In every letter of mine, it is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. God, come and breathe life upon your word. Or take these, these written words on this page Open them in our understanding. God, I come to you so desperately in need of your grace. Lord, I am am not capable or qualified to proclaim the truth of who you are, and yet here I stand called by you to do so. So I I humbly ask for your grace. Come and, and, and breathe life upon the words that are said today. Let them transform our souls, let them them cut through all of, of the noise, all of the distraction, all the chaos, all of the things that would seek to lower our experience of who you are. God, come and have your way. Be glorified and exalted, let us be transformed, be doers of your word, not just hearers, that you might be glorified and our good might be accomplished. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, so. I already mentioned this. My, my lovely wife already mentioned uh, our evening of expectation. Um, really, really, really excited about this. Um, was texting our guest speaker. In case you, you missed it, it's this Saturday. When is it? This Saturday. This Saturday. So, so be here. Great, great program for the kids and, and lots of stuff going on. Um, for them, we're really, really, really excited about it. Um, this is really not a time to miss. I, I, I have a, a firm belief that when when God begins to move in the midst of his people, it is a challenge to his people to move with him. I think this is not a season for us to be spectators, but to be participants in what God is doing in our midst. And I wanna invite you to be a part of that. Um, And I think think this is gonna be a, I don't use this term lightly, I think this is gonna be a historic night for us as a church and I'd love to see you all here with us. Worship team is ready. Um, We're gonna be worshiping, we're gonna be praying, we're gonna be hearing from the Lord. Uh, really trusting that it's gonna be a special, special night for us. Um, we're concluding, though, our study, if you noticed, uh, in 2 Thessalonians, kind of wrapping it up, uh, and Paul kind of ends this, this study um, with an interesting way, but I wanna kind of see uh, where have we come in, in this, in this time together, in these last about two months of studying through this. I, I would, I'd put it this way. I think we've come to a place of elevated hope beyond trial and trouble. Hopefully we've seen, as we looked at this, um, whether it's from uh, Isaiah, or Jeremiah rather 29, where, where a people in exile are told to hope that yes, you've got problems, but God has a plan. That God's working something on your behalf, that he's, he's working things in you and he's working things for you. And, and so therefore we should elevate our hope beyond just what the outcome in this life may be, which leads us to the second place, I think we've come. We've come to think more of our king and his kingdom. Everything in this life tries to scream at us, that just what we can sense and feel and know through our senses in this, this bio-body suit that we wear, this is real. When in reality, the scriptures make it very clear that our king and our kingdom is, in his kingdom rather, is far more real than what we experience in this life. Hopefully, we've come to a place of thinking more of that. And, and because Jesus is seen and savored as better than everything, better than anything, amen? This is hopefully where we've come, come to a place of, of seeing beyond, of hoping beyond. Our hope is placed in our king, our hope is placed in his kingdom. Why is our hope placed in, in, in our king and in his kingdom? Because Jesus is better than everything. Jesus is better than anything. Paul kind of wraps this up. He's, he's been hammering these points home to a church in trouble, to a church in problems, to a church experiencing true persecution because of their trust and, and love and affection for Jesus. The world hates them. The world they're in does not like them. No one's rolling out the red carpet for the church, uh, for the Thessalonian church. In fact, they're doing the opposite. They're, they're taking their stuff they're beating them up. They're rejecting them. They're unfriending them on Facebook. It's really tough for them. And Paul here is, is trying to do, I believe, these three things for them. Hey, don't, don't look at the trouble. Look at your hope. Your hope is in your king, and your hope is in his kingdom. And, and the reason why is because and Jesus is better. And there's coming a day when, when everything that, that seems to, to try to separate you from him will be done away with and you'll have intimacy and unbroken relationship and unbroken fellowship with Jesus. I think Paul does this here. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I've been studying through, it's beginning of the year. I try to read through the Bible every year. And, and so I've I'm, I'm kind of been making my way through the gospels because I read a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament every day. And, and I've been making my way through the gospels. And I've been, been sort of fascinated the last couple of weeks with the parables and I've been fascinated by it because as we've been studying through this together and, and I've been teaching through this, I've sort of noticed that this is kind of what Jesus was doing with the parables constantly. He was, con- he was contrasting that the world that you live in, but the kingdom of heaven is like. Yes, you, you know this world, but the kingdom of heaven is like. And here's the funny thing I've noticed. The kingdom of heaven, shocker, always better. It's always better there. It's always, it's always superior to whatever we face here. And and Paul ends this, his, his exhortation of trying to do the same thing Jesus did and trying to do the same thing I believe Jeremiah was doing, give good news to people in a bad situation by saying the outcome of this ought to be a life of peace, ought to be a mindset of peace, that people with a great expectation ought to have peace. But why? That's what we're going to address this morning. So uh, we're, going to, we're going to do a, a fun little thing. We'll look, look at some Greek here. Um, it's all Greek to me, so uh, we're, going to, we're going to look at this. The word peace that, that Paul uses here in this passage bo- both times is, is irene. Everybody say irene i re I-re-ne. Irene. You're learning Greek. See, you're bilingual or some of you more than that. Um, so so when, you, when you look at what this word means, I love this. I love this definition, absolutely. For, for the believer, what, what Irene means, what peace means, is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. Pack it up, let's go home. Like that's, I mean, that's it. That, that's, that's the point. That, that's what we're, we're, we're trying to see. That's what we're trying to, to understand is this idea that our souls should abide in tranquility. Now, for those of us who, who don't like $6 words, I tried to summarize this. Peace is a confident rest knowing God is in control. And when we say God is in control, what we mean, we have to understand that God is good and all he does is Perfect. See, if God's in control, but he's not good, hello, somebody, then, then, then we should, the Bible says we should go into a mountain and ask God to just crush us with that mountain if God is not good to us. But because we know he is good, we have a confident rest. Not only do we know that he's good, but all that he does is perfect. We, listen to me, listen, please hear me, please, we don't always see it that way. We don't always understand that. From my perspective, sometimes I look at what God does and go, this does not look perfect. But we stand from a place. Peace is a confident rest knowing these things. When other information comes, we, we delete that and focus on what we know. We focus on the truth of who God is. And so this morning, I, I would love to, to speak with you from, from the understanding of knowing peace, a tranquil state of the soul. Getting to that understanding of a tranquil state of the soul. See, the believer understands something. Why I chose that definition in, in all the different ways you can define the Greek word, what's the Greek word? Irene. Irene it, it is, is we we understand as believers this fundamental truth. Please, if you hear nothing else from me this morning, you need to hear this. If you don't have peace with God, all the other peace in your life is temporal, fading, and worthless. And I use those words on purpose. It'll only last a little while. It will fade away over time. And even the peace that you have is worthless because if we do not have peace with the ultimate being in all of creation, what does it matter if you get along in your house? So he, please hear me with this. I need you to understand this is, this is core for us around here. I'm not interested in preaching messages about how to have peace in your home at the expense of not teaching you how to have peace with God. Because I believe while peace outside of peace with God is temporal and fleeting and will eventually fade away and ultimately is worthless, peace with God, and we're gonna see this, should permeate all areas of our life. See, Paul here And I love the way he does this, the way he prays. By the way, this is just total side note, not in the notes, not a part of the message. It's just free pastoral information here. I love the way Paul prays for them. Did you catch the way he prayed for them? He prayed to God by speaking to them. Parents, do this with your kids. He he, he says, may God, may the God of peace grant you peace. He's, he's, he's speaking life, and he's speaking his prayers to God, but declaring it to them. That's free and an aside. But he does this, and he talks about peace, and he, he says, he, he frames it in a certain way. He prays for them for peace, and he prays that they would have peace at all times and in every way. So I, the way I would define that is God desires us to have peace at all times and all kinds, he wants you to have peace all the time and all the kinds of peace you can have. That's his desire for you. So I wanna unpack that here real fast. So, so at all times, I, I think what, what he means by that is, is he wants you to have peace, a horological peace and geographical peace. Now, some of y'all are like, did he just say the word I think he just said in church? Horological. All the watch nerds in the room know what that means and that's probably only me. Horology is the study of time. <laughs> it's the study of, of, of the, the keeping and, and the passing of time. And, and I, th- I believe God wants you to have peace all the time. What do I mean by that? He doesn't just want you to have peace when you're in church on Sunday morning. Well, I have peace from roughly 9.08 when, when when I when I start driving to church, and then once about the end of church happens, I'm hungry, so my peace is gone. That's, that's not God's desire for you. God wants you to have peace all the time. God wants you to have peace all the time and God wants you to have peace everywhere you go. He doesn't just want you to have peace on Sunday mornings and he doesn't just want you to have peace when you're in a church building. Hello, somebody. You say, well, you said that peace with God is the most important so I should just have peace when I'm at church on Sunday morning. No, 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 no. God wants you to have peace all the time everywhere you go. Perfect example of this, if you, if you go to the Old Testament, Daniel and his friends Rakshak and Benny they have peace, even when the time is not right. Hello, somebody. Even when the time's not right, and even in places they shouldn't have peace. Rackshack and Benny are told, listen, we're gonna make this big golden idol, and everyone is gonna bow down and worship it when the music plays. Everybody has to do this. And they say, well, we, we, love, we love God, so we can't worship something that's not God. We can't bow down and worship it, so, so we love you, but no. And the king's like, oh, I totally understand. We're a tolerant nation. No, what he says is, okay, let me rephrase. Bow down in worship or I'm throwing you in the furnace. And so they said, well, we didn't understand the the stakes here. Never mind. No, they said, look, you do what you're going to do. Our God will deliver us. But this is what I love about him. They said, even if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to obey your edict." We're going to trust God. We're going to put our hope, our great expectations as our king. But listen, even if he chooses to have a plan other than the one that we would prefer, which is to not die in a fire, we're still not going to obey you. We're going to obey him. And they throw him in the fire, and they have peace. The Bible actually says that the fire was so hot when they threw him in that the two dudes that threw them in died. They go into the fire. The, 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 the king's people look into the fire, and instead of seeing the three dudes tied up that they, that they put in, they see four dudes free walking around in the fire, that's the kind of peace we're supposed to have. Daniel, the, 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 who's friends with these three guys, he has a similar experience. And, and, and the king says, like, you can't pray to anybody but me, which, by the way, is stupid. That's offensive to some of you. It is, though. The king can't hear them praying. So why are they praying to him? And Daniel says, no, I'm going to pray, you know, to God because, you know, He's God. And, and he, he, he remains faithful and some crooked, jacked up people decide to rat him out, which you know they need to realize snitches get stitches and they do later. But, um, and they rat him out. And so what the king has to do because of the law, the king has to throw him into a den full of hungry lions. Daniel has peace. Daniel's peace has, is, is so permeating him that, that God uses Daniel's peace and pours out that peace upon all the lions and they just kind of hang out for a night. And Daniel gets to leave. Come on, God wants you to have peace, not just when everything looks right. See, see God doesn't say, see, when I hear peace, this is what I mean. This is why I say, God has a different dictionary than me. When I hear peace, I think no problems. Like peace is the absence of war. Peace in my tranquility of my soul should mean I don't have any problems. So God, grant me peace. Translation in Mark's brain, take away all my problems. Don't make me go through trouble. You're a God of peace. You're supposed to give me peace. And God says, yes, but I want you to have peace at all times. Not just on Sundays and not just in church, but all all time and all geographical locations regardless of, of what time it is, regardless of where you are. But then he also says all kinds of peace. And this, this, I think, is important for us. In every way, you should have peace. All the kinds of peace you can have, you should have as a believer. That's God's desire for you. Again, please, are you hearing me? Not all your problems go away and everything's just hunky-dory and you just get to eat bonbons all day long. That's, that's, I didn't say that was God's desire for you. No, God says in the midst of whatever you're going through, I want you to have peace. But the peace that he wants to give you isn't just peace for a time and for a location. It's also not just one type of peace. What do I, what do I mean by that? What, do, what does Paul mean by that? I believe what he means is this, that yes, we have peace spiritually and, 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 and eternally with God, but that peace should permeate all the areas of our life. So so we defined peace, Let's, let's, let's get back to that here real fast. We defined peace as peace is a confident rest knowing God is in control. Can you say that, I love you, can you say that about your finances? Can you say I have a confident rest God's in control of my finances. Man, I have a confident rest that God's in control of my relationships. I have a confident rest that God is in control of my needs, my emotional needs, my physical needs. God's in control. God's good. Everything he does is perfect. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have peace all the time and he wants you to have peace that's all the kinds. It it permeates everything. We, we We have peace with God and because God is the God of peace, that peace flows out to every area of our life. How, though? That's, that's the part that, I, that I, I get hung up on. Because I can just stand up here and like, amen, have peace. Thanks. Oh, I didn't realize. That's so wonderful that God wants me to have peace. I'll just hum now. I mean, like, wh- how? Well, I think... I think hidden here is exactly how. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. The Lord be with you all. See, all of this, all of this peace we're supposed to have, this confident rest, knowing God is in control, all of this peace we're supposed to have is literally flowing from the fact we know who our God is. And we know who, who he has called us to be. And we know what he has done for us to put us in right relationship with him. That's, that's the big definition, right? A tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation because it does what's right all the time. It never fails and he ne- you never do anything wrong and you never talk like that potty mouth the way that Ryland talks, saying things like holy moly. Only God is holy. You shouldn't say that. No, I I have assurance in my soul, not because I've done all the right things, but because Jesus did all the right things. His perfection has utterly overwhelmed my imperfection. My poor performance cannot stack up to his perfection, and thankfully, he has applied his perfection to my poor performance. That's a good place to say amen. We do still believe in the Holy Spirit, right? I have this assurance not because of me. My peace does not rest on what I do. My peace rests on who I know my God to be and who I know him to be to me. I'm reconciled to him because of Christ. I'm brought near to him. So listen, this is what I'm trying to get at. Any lack of peace in your life is evidence of an area that you do not know God. Now listen to me, that, that's, that should not be, I need you to hear me. That is not spoken as condemnation. That's spoken as liberation. See, condemnation would come and say, you don't know your God well enough. No, liberation is, hey, I don't have peace here and I don't have to like drum it up somehow. I don't have to fake it till I make it. I don't have to like go buy it somewhere or go, go pretend like I have it or go hum in the right key for the right amount of time or pray the right amount of prayers or do the right things. No, 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 I have peace by knowing God, and God has made himself available to me, listen to me, at no cost to me. The old song says Jesus paid it all, amen? Amen. Jesus said paid in full when he hung on the cross. The price for your peace was paid by Jesus. If there's a lack of peace in your life, it's because you do not know God in that area. So I know God to be my peace in my salvation, but man, me and my kids are just not getting along. I mean, this I would never say this because I just, my kids are perfect and wonderful and not here in the room, so no, they're not. Um, <laughs> they're gone at camp and they're getting made perfect. They'll come back, they'll smell wonderful because they'll have bathed on their own while they're away from us. This is free therapy for me, um, So I know peace here because, yeah, I mean, I believe that Jesus, yeah, sure, but, but man, God can't handle my financial problems. Here's the most common one I hear. Sure, I mean, God can handle my financial problems, but you don't understand, I screwed up. I bought so much stuff I didn't need. Visa and MasterCard own everything that I have technically. How could God do that? I messed up. I didn't handle my finances right, so this God of peace in finances doesn't apply to me. I messed up. Trust and obey and know him to be the God of peace even in that area. Hey, you, you, you messed up and there might be some consequences. Practically, you gotta pay in that area, but God can still give you peace at all times and all kinds. I, as a pastor, I get to be in people's lives at, at really the highest heights and the lowest lows of people's lives. I get to, I get to stand with people. My favorite things to do, is stand with people and watch God do a miracle of making two people into one people in a wedding. It's, it's truly amazing. I remember the first time I got to, 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 to oversee a wedding. I was, really, I was really nervous. So I called a mentor in my life. His name is Jude. I, I called Pastor Jude and I said, Pastor Jude, I'm really, really scared. I'm doing a wedding. And he starts laughing at me these are the kind of mentors God gives me in my life. They laugh at you when you ask for help. I said, man, no, I'm, I'm serious, Pastor Jude. I'm so nervous. What do I do? And he said, man, why are you nervous? I said, because I mean, it's weird and I have to wear a suit. And it's like, I'm just nervous. And he goes, listen, Mark, man, have if, if you ever done an evangelism-like event? I said, yeah, I've done evangelism, man. I've done evangelism a lot. Okay, have you ever, have you ever preached a message at a, at a church? I said, Pastor Jude, I've been in ministry for a while. Come on, yeah, I've done that. He said, here's the deal, bro. When you do a wedding, it's different than all that stuff. If you do an evangelism event and you jack it up, no one's getting saved. If you preach at on a Sunday morning and you do a bad job of teaching the word, people are just going to leave confused. But dude, you do a wedding, just follow the script, and at the end, they're guaranteed to be married. Your job is like set. You don't even have to worry about it. Just get up and read the book. I'm like, hey, that's great. So I went into it with that sort of a mindset, like, okay, I guess I'll just kind of read the book. But I was not aware of the front row seat I was gonna have as God literally took two people and the Bible says made them into one. It's a miracle that God does. And as a pastor, I I love it. I get to be a part of that and I I love being a part of that. I love watching God do that. I get to be a part of baptisms like we're gonna have today. I get part of baby dedications and setting in members and praying for people. But, But on the other side of the coin, I also get to be around people at at the lowest lows of their lives, sometimes. I remember the first time I was in a room as a woman left this life and passed on to the next life. I was not prepared for that. But more than anything, she she loved Jesus, I was not prepared for the peace that would be in that room. But here's here's the scarier thing. She had family that loved Jesus and family that didn't love Jesus and watching the difference. Paul says that we grieve, listen, listen, we grieve, but we don't grieve like unbelievers. There's a peace that abides. Even even at the lowest, even even what the world says is the lowest, there's peace there. Jesus wants you to have peace at all times and all kinds. Know him, get to know him. Again, I hope this is not coming across as condemnation, if you like, but I struggle with peace. Get to know Jesus. He's right there available for you to get. You don't gotta, you don't gotta prove anything. You don't gotta drum up performance and you don't gotta gotta stand the right way or say the right words or do the right no. Just just cry out to him. He's there. He's done everything to make a way for you to know him. And listen to me, he can handle it. Your lack of peace, he can handle your lack of peace. Open up that area of your life to him. You say, how do I open up that area of my life to him? Two ways. Ask and obey. Just ask him. But I don't have peace in this area. I remember, most of you know Adonai when she was born uh, had had a stroke and then had several seizures after she was born when she was a a baby and and, uh, we, we, I mean, we're new parents, we're we got married way younger than anybody legally should have let us get married. <laughs> uh, we, we were like, it felt like 14. Uh, we, we, were, we were 19 years old when we got married. Um, we, don't, we didn't talk about that a lot when we were in youth ministry, shockingly. Um, but uh, we, we got married really young, and so we had Adoniah pretty young as well. We were 21, I think, if I do the math right. My wife's saying yes, so there we go. We were 21 years old and she's born. And, and you know, you have it in your head that like the, the baby's born and it's perfect and, and cute. And she was not when she was born. I'm sorry. I know all y'all think newborn babies are cute. No, they're not. <laughs> Literally, I, I remember telling my, t- my wife this. Like, I don't think, I mean, everyone talks about how pretty baby, newborn babies are. But the, like two that I've seen were like, look like they lost a fight with Mike Tyson. Like it was not cute. And she told me this. She goes, oh, well, when it's our baby, you'll find her cute. Well, well, Adonai had a really traumatic birth, and so as soon as she was done being born, they rushed her off to the nursery, and so Ty, Ty's resting, and because, you know, we said we had a baby, but she did all the work, and, um, and so I was like, I'm gonna go see the baby, I'm gonna go see Adonai in the nursery, and I go marching down at Sacred Heart to have, you know, to go visit my baby, and I, I like walk into the nursery, and there's all these little babies, and I look around, and I, I kid you not, I looked at this one baby, and I was like, I don't care whose kid that is. They gotta know that kid is ugly. And I handed, I handed her the, the little piece of paper, and she looked at it, she goes, that's your baby. <laughs> I said, well, that settles it. I know my kid is ugly. Um, she had a xenomorph head. I'm not kidding. It looked like Alien, the movie Alien. Like, it was weird. And, I mean, I loved her, but she was, she got really cute really fast. But that moment... Not so much. And she knows this, I've told her. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the kind of dad I am. Speak the truth in love. Um, she, she had a, she had a, a stroke and, and seizures, and man, that just threw us for a loop. There's not a weirder feeling that I've experienced as a parent than leaving your baby the hospital. It's like, no, but I'm supposed to take the baby home. I had to leave her there. She got better and we were told she had a clean bill of health, we didn't have anything to worry about, everything was great, we celebrated. In fact, she even got written up in a medical journal for being a miracle and God was great, we did all these tests, there's no symptoms, no nothing, she's great, woohoo, praise Jesus, move on. Fast forward, 11 years later, we're here, we're planting the church, we're doing what God called us to do, we're working hard, we're trusting him, we're, we're doing all this stuff. Ty was working at Nordstrom at the time, and so I'd get up early in the morning and drive her down to, to, to Nordstrom downtown. We live on the South Hill, drop her off and come back home, and Adam know, I was 11 years old, so we'd leave her a phone, and you know, it's like six o'clock in the morning, your siblings are asleep, and we'd go, and if you think that's too young, that's fine, keep it to yourself. And, um, <laughs> and, and we would go, and, and I go in to wake her up, and I say, hey, nine. I put my hand on her shoulder, and she stretches. Well, that's normal, okay, she's waking up, but the stretch keeps going and she starts shaking. And I say there was not a weird feeling than feeling leaving your baby. There's also not a weird feeling than holding your 11-year-old while she shakes and has a seizure and her eyes roll in the back of her head and you don't know if she's coming back. And here's the weird part, here's why I bring it up. I'm holding her and the only th- I start praying and here's what comes out of my mouth without me being ready for it. Lord, thank you for the 11 years I had with her. If this is it, you're good. And her, she stops shaking and she, opened, she opens up her eyes and she goes, hi, dad, and then rolls over and goes back to sleep. It's like, Lord, you have a bad sense of humor. I wasn't ready for that, but there was grace and peace in that moment. And we walked through it with her and just, I wasn't planning on sharing any of this. Um, But just so we're all aware, we we ran more tests and it turns out there was still a scar on her brain and so she just has to make sure she gets a lot of sleep at night and she's fine. So of course we sent her off to camp for three days (laughs) where all teenagers get lots of sleep. They go to bed early, they let them sleep in. This is what youth camps are like, right? Wait, we did it for 12 years. Yeah, no, they're not like that at all. And we trust the Lord and we have peace and we've slept just fine. God wants you to have peace at all times. What I'm saying is this, look, we ask in those moments. I remember wrestling through when we were going through all the tests after that and we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know if this was going to be normal from now on, if she was going to have to go back on meds and we we're going to have to do all this. I remember, listen to me, wrestling with God in those moments. I'm not saying I just had peace, it was great. There's peace in that moment. Listen to me, two days later when the doctor's like, We don't know what's happening. Is there any more frustrating thing for a doctor to tell you? Like, We don't know, but that's why we pay you. <laughs> Supposed to know. It was mornings, four o'clock in the morning, three thirty in the morning, can't sleep, getting up, getting on my face before Jesus and going, Lord, I don't know what's going on here, but you do, and you better tell me. I need to hear from you. I need your peace now. I need to know your peace. And I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly before, but I got a word from the Lord. I, I've only, feel like I've really heard God next to, audible. I've never heard God's audible voice, but there's been a few moments in my life where it was next to that, where like you might be able to convince me it was. By the way, if that freaks you out, that's just the kind of weird church we are. We're only as weird as we have to be, but let's face it, weird, normal nowadays is not working, so let's be weird. So in that moment, I don't know if I've shared this publicly before, but, um, and she doesn't know this, so don't tell her. God, God said something to me. I said, Lord, I need to hear from you. I need to know what's going on here. I need, I, I, just, I just need a word. Just give me, just, I just asked. And he said, don't think you're gonna get out of having to send her to college. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> that's gonna suck. Um, she can still pay for it though, right? Um, and that was it. And there was peace. You ask. You ask. The second piece is obey. You can tell if you're trusting God by whether or not you obey him or not? You trust God in your relationships? Do you do what he tells you to do in your relationship? Husbands, do you love your wives? Nobody wants me to talk about that right now. They're like, mm, no, no, let's move on. Financially, do we trust God? Do we, do we work like we talked about last week? Are we willing to work? Are we faithful with what God's called us to do with, with giving to our local church? Are we faithful to be generous when we see people in need to, su- to support them? Are we obedient? You ask and you obey. That's how you get God into those situations. One last little side note test for you. This is just something I've found to be very true in my life. It's a test to see whether I'm opening my life up to God when trouble hits and I need peace or whether I'm closed off to him, here it is, when, when trouble, disappointment, struggle, bad, wrong stuff, unplanned things come at you, who gets the blame and who do you look for to, for a solution? Does God get blamed and you try to find a solution on your own? then I love you. Don't expect to have the peace of God in that situation because you can't separate the person of God from the peace of God. Do you blame God? God, you did this and now I have to fix this. Do we say, God, you, you, you're responsible for it and now I have to clean up your mess, God. Do we blame God and look to the world and the system of the world to fix it? Or do we put the blame where it should be on the fallen, broken world that we live in and trust God for the solution. Now this world's broken and this world's busted and I don't understand it. I know you're good and everything you do is perfect and clearly this world is not. So I'm gonna put the blame where it belongs and I'm gonna trust you.